0: So, hey, listen, hey, listen, I, I've been to Utah and back. Actually, I got a picture of all four of my children that I brought back from Utah. They are on the cliff last Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And so I would deliver them back to their mother safe and sound. We had such a great time. And thank you so much for letting me have a little, as Pastor Ellen preached last week about taking the Sabbath. And so we had a chance to be um, all around Utah last week. I will tell you, this was kind of funny. Uh, I have never been uh, in the temperature uh, that I experienced last weekend in Moab, uh, Utah. It was 122 degrees, which is just staggering. I mean, it's like open up an oven and it just hits you. So um, it was just pretty incredible to be able to be a part of all that. And so we... um, we had a good time. So, hey, listen, uh, we continue this sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and so what a great journey it's been. I hope that you're learning something, and I hope that, once again, we we have the Ten Commandments. I'm just telling you, the Old Testament ties tightly with the New Testament, and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Jesus' perspective on on this particular command that I have for you today, and um, how Jesus ties it all in with the Old and New Testament. Um, You know, I I'm reminded this last week, you know, um, Evan, who's um, our young man who's been helping with our registration. He's the youngest member of our staff, and we just appreciate him. He did our devotion this last week, and he said something that just kind of struck um, a chord with me and, and reminded me once again how the Old Testament one connects with the New Testament. So he was given this devotion. He was talking about trusting the Lord and having faith in the Lord. And he gave this quote, and I love this quote because it has to do with um, God's relationship with Moses. And so um, he referred to um, one particular piece of scripture where God says to Moses, he says, Moses, what is it that you have in your hand? And what did Moses have in his hand? He had a staff. And what's very interesting about that part of the story is that, you know, Moses, as we are reminded, you know, he had, uh, you know, when he was going through this whole journey about finally getting to the place that he could get the children of Israel to be released, he had to go back to Pharaoh. Of course, he goes to the burning bush. God has a conversation with him. And um, God says to him, you know, what's in your hand? And so um, there seems to be in this relationship between God and Moses um, there's power in Moses' staff because when God says, hey, what's in your hand? He picks up and he shows him the staff. And, and so Moses uses the staff over and over again. He literally says he takes the staff and remember when he throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake, right? And then he takes the staff and he was able to actually dip the staff into the Nile and it turned to blood. Um, and so, over and over again, he, we find this power in this relationship between God and Moses. But there comes a place in their relationship, and I thought this is what brought back this memory this last week. Once again, how all the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. There's a place in the story that God says to Moses because they're out in the desert, and once again, I've been in the desert this last week, 122 degrees. And you get thirsty in the desert, right? So God says to Moses, I want you to go speak to the rock and water will come gushing out. And Moses doesn't do exactly what God asked him to do. What what Moses does, he takes his staff and then he strikes the rock and the water comes gushing out. And then we find the interesting, uh, um, just one little tidbit of information, which is actually very powerful because God says, listen, Moses, because you didn't trust me, and you didn't trust my word, you're not gonna be able to go into the promised land. Which, you know, you think about that, Moses is the one who leads them out of the promised land, he continues to be very faithful, he has to put up with so much stuff from the children of Israel over and over, and they spend 40 years out there, but yet he can see it from the distance, but he's not allowed to actually get them into the promised land, all because he made one mistake. And what is that really all about? Well, you know what, I look back at the story and I think it's very, very powerful because, let's again, let's just think about the Ten Commandments as I share with you all and taught. uh, The first four have to do with their relationship with God and then the next six have to do with their relationship with each other. So once again, we have this, the idea of the the greatest command to love God and to love your neighbor, to love God and love your neighbor, to love God and love your neighbor. And so you got the first four have to do with relationship with God. The next six have to do with relationship with each other. okay. But what's very interesting is the, out of the first four, the first two really have everything to do with trusting God. You know, once again, what does God say? He says, listen, I'm the Lord your God, Yahweh. I'm the sustainer of life, I'm the author of life, I'm the source of life, and you gotta trust me. So don't put any other God before me. And by the way, number two was, listen, don't make an idol. Don't try to even think that you can actually go and make a golden calf and it's actually going to capture the essence of who I am. And the reason why you can't do that is because how are you going to capture the essence of the who, who I really am? I'm the one who created the universe. I'm the one who put the stars in the heaven, the sand in the sea. How in the world are you going to be able to capture who I really am, the identity of who I am in a golden calf? I mean, really? That's what God's saying. So don't even think about doing that. Of course, they tried to do that, but it doesn't work out real well. So we have these, these, this great, this very powerful image of once again tying the Ten Commandments together about a relationship with God, and relationship with each other. Love God, love our neighbor. Love God, love our neighbor. Okay, so today we have the sixth command. I know that uh, Pastor Ellen preached about the Sabbath last week, and I appreciate her doing that. So we have this one, and um, it's it's short and sweet. Uh, actually not so sweet it's actually very powerful um but it all comes down to just basically um well four words um the sixth command you shall not kill that's it matter of fact the title of my sermon today is forgiveness in the first degree i thought that was actually pretty clever right (laughs) thou shall not kill now, many of you are probably thinking, okay, Harold, what are you going to do with this one? Because you know, maybe, you know, chances are, maybe you never have met anybody that actually killed someone. But here's the, once again, we have to look at the story and look at what Jesus had to say. And we'll read to the, in the text just a second, but maybe it's not just about, we look at this command as Jesus is going to take this and take it to a whole new level. I mean, the literal translation, you go back and you look at what the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. I mean, once again, there's been the code of ethics that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. You go back to the very beginning of the civilization, there's this code of ethics that we're supposed to kill each other, right? And so, what we find here, well, this is one that this is a very important command, number six. But what we find here is, I found this in my own relationship with other people. Have you ever said something? Or done something to someone else, and that you ended up killing a relationship. Have you ever said something you wish that you maybe never said, okay, and you wish you could take back? Come on, true confession. Have you ever said anything to anybody, and, and because of what you said or did, it really ended up killing a relationship? So we have this whole idea. You think, oh well, you know what? Thou shalt not kill. I, I, you know, I haven't killed anybody, you know. But but maybe there's another whole another level to this whole the idea. Of these four words we find in the sixth command. So this is what Jesus had to say. Once again, where do we find these words? We find them on this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon I ever preached. Jesus is, and we find this in the f- uh, the fifth chapter, beginning of the fifth chapter in the b- Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus takes the sixth command. Ready? And he takes it and he says, okay, let's take this to a whole nother level. And this is what Jesus has to say. He says, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. And all who committed murder will be in danger of judgment. But then Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who is is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot... They will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Whoa. Okay. That gives a whole never perspective, doesn't it? True story. When I was a kid growing up, I was about seven, and eight years old. And so um, back, um, back in the good old days, um, do you remember the good old days? So back in the good old days, we had a youth group. We didn't call it youth group back in the good old days in the Methodist church. We called it MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship. And my father was a pastor at Conway United Methodist Church there in Orlando. And the Parsonage is right next door to the church. And I remember as a young kid growing up, I remember that uh, I was so jealous because my sister got to go to youth group, but I couldn't go because I was too young. You had to be at least, I think, 12 or 13 to be able to go. But every once in a while, my father was actually, uh, would go to youth group, be a part of youth group. He was um, actually, sometimes he would give the devotion or so forth. And so every once in a while, my father would let me tag along. And I'll never forget, actually playing one day with the kids, all the kids were gathered around. It was me and my father playing ping pong. And so we were going back and forth, back and forth. And all of a sudden, my father hit a really good shot and I missed it. And I said to my father, you fool. And then, um, because I think I was showing off, okay. And so at that point, my father stopped me in my tracks and said to me, Harold Ray, I knew I was in trouble once he said that. Harold Ray, did you realize when you call according to Jesus, you call someone a fool, you could be condemned into the fiery hell of, uh, of damnation or something like that. And I thought to myself, okay, this is not good, right? <laughs> called me out. And by the way, I want you to know, I never called my father a fool ever again. So what's interesting there is you have to go back and look at you know, the story before the story. And and we look at this, this this is very powerful because you think about that, that the idea of what Jesus is calling out, he says, listen, you can become, you know, you can become so incensed, you can become angry with someone. And Jesus says, listen, your anger can lead to some sense of uh, reaction to someone and it can kill any, any relationship. This last week, last weekend, we were hiking. As a matter of fact, here's, the, here's a picture of the lake that we were hiking last weekend. It's just beautiful. And so let me just tell you a quick story about anger, okay? And how this plays out in our life and how what Jesus is talking about. Because once again, thou shall not kill. It's a whole other level when you think about our relationship with each other and how we can kill relationships with our anger and the words that we say. Okay, so um, we, we're making our way up to the top of this mountain. It's about ten thousand feet, and it takes about an hour to get up to this particular lake. It's about a mile and a half, two-hour hike to get up to this place. And so there are p- other people out this last weekend. And so we're going along. We almost get to the top, and and so there's um, a couple. There's a, a woman there who has a teenage son, and um, her daughter is probably maybe eight or ten years old. And so we stop, and it's a beautiful, picturesque place to be able to take a picture, right? And so when you're on on vacation, a lot of times you know how it goes. You know the drill. It, you see someone, and they, and like, hey, would you like to take a picture? So we, and so and and so we said, well, I tell you what, will you take a picture of us? We'd be happy to take a picture of you. So they took a picture of us, and then we said we'd take a picture of you. So we did that. And so she had her son, and she had her daughter, and then they had this big dog. Now what's interesting in Utah, everybody's got a dog, and not just little dogs, big. Everybody's got a dog, okay. And what's interesting on this particular hike, and it's the only hike that I saw all over Utah that had this sign. Basically, thou shalt not have dogs on the trail when you get up to the top, okay? So you can have dogs on the trail, but once you get to the lake, I showed you a picture, you're not not allowed to have dogs. So we get up to the top and after we took this picture and this, th- this is a beautiful dog. It was a big dog, big white fluffy dog and um, his name was Leo. So we finally get up to the top, we ho- uh, get there and so we're, I'm looking at this and I'm just taking this in. This is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And I'm standing there next to this guy who I have no idea who he was. And, um, and so we're just kind of strike up a conversation. All of a sudden, he looks behind me and guess who's coming? Our friends that we just met, and they have a dog. And he goes off. I mean, he goes on to rant. He's yelling at them. He says, you all can't. And he's just mumbling in his butt. And guess what he's calling him? He, you know, I can't use the words he's using, but he uses several other four-letter words before he uses you idiot about you not allowing to have any dogs. Right, and so he's, he's using profanity, he's yelling at this couple that we just met about their dog. And I'm thinking, dude, what is the problem? Matter of fact, I I looked around. Guess what? There were at least 10 other dogs because nobody actually, actually, everybody was ignoring the sign, okay? So there are dogs everywhere. And the dogs are just doing their dog thing, right? And so I'm thinking, dude, you got to lighten up. So I'm standing there, and he's yelling at these people. Matter of fact, he's got his own son who's like 10 years old. He's floating around the water, and he chimes in because his father's chiming in, right? He's yelling, hey, you're not supposed to have dogs. Right? And thinking I'm in the most beautiful place on the planet and I've got this Yahoo next to me yelling about dogs, right? And I said, I gotta get away from this guy, right? So I'll go to the other end of the lake. And let me show you the difference between going on a rant and becoming so angry with someone over just a simple dog. You can go for a rant, or you can go for a ride. And here's a picture of my son Cameron. He goes in the water, and it's about 58 degrees, right? He jumps in. He goes and finds a log, and he makes it a makeshift canoe, and he is just having the time of his life. Now, the reason I tell you that story today is it just seems to be very profound to me. You think about this. How can you be in the exact same place in one of the most beautiful places on the planet earth? and absorb and taken in all this beautiful scenery that God has created in his marvelous creation. Beautiful clear water, beautiful aspens all around, a beautiful day, dogs running around, people having joy in their hearts, and I'm standing next to this guy who's on a rant about a dog, right? You can either go on a rant or you can go on a ride. It's just as simple as looking at two different perspectives and how you looked at the situation. So this guy is all angry, but my son is happy, happy, happy. And he's standing in the exact same place, looking at the exact same circumstance. So Jesus says to us today, he looks at the story and, you know, he says, you have heard about thou shalt not kill or thou shalt murder. But Jesus says, hey, listen, you know what? You can actually be in the danger of, of fiery hell if you call someone a fool or actually call someone an idiot. Matter of fact, the little translation for idiot is raka, which means stupid or empty headed. And the word for, um, for the word fool comes from the Greek word more, which we get the word more on. So Jesus says, if you call someone stupid or if you call someone a moron, Jesus says, it's not good. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, once again, you have to go back and think about the integrity of the text and trusting the text. And what Jesus is saying, listen, in the very beginning, God created all, Adam and Eve, in his image. Which means if Adam and Eve were created in his image, that means that you and I were created in God's image, right? That means our brother and sisters in Christ are all created in the image of God. And he says when you, when you start calling people morons and you start calling people stupid and you call start calling people idiots, and you all of a sudden what happens is you dehumanize other people and you're degrading them. So Jesus takes this whole idea about thou shalt not kill, and you think about literally murdering someone, and you might, well, that doesn't really apply to me. But the idea of how we continue to react to other people and treat each other on a day-to-day basis, Jesus says you got to be careful with that. He takes it and takes it to a basic level for everybody in this room that we all have to look at the context of in our own lives now listen, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? How many of this room have ever been in down the going down 466 and someone honks at you? And listen, I am notorious as I will honk back. I'm just telling you, right? Honk, 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 honk. This has happened to me over and over again. Do you know how many times I have people like flip me off, right? You've had that too, right? I just wave back, right? Okay, so we all can understand the context. Of life and how so often Jesus says He takes something that's so so simple, and basically says to us, "Listen, you got to be careful. Thou shalt not kill." And so it happens with "Thou shalt not kill." Sometimes it can lead to anger, and killing even relationships. So here's another interesting thought about this. This last week, as I'm thinking about, um, I would you know over and over again, and and, and we all probably once again, gu- I'm guilty of this. Okay, I don't know if you are, but m- maybe we all are to some degree. I watch the 6 o'clock news just about every night. Some form, I, you know, over and over again. Okay. I just, you know, you get the news, what's going on. Do you realize every time you watch the 6 o'clock news, just about somebody's killed somebody? Yeah. Every single night. Somebody has done something. And usually what it has to do with, somebody's became angry with someone and then they get upset about something. I mean, I've seen something as simple as, you know, road rage, someone takes out a gun and shoots somebody. Or, or the idea of a kid's pulling up to the gas pump and their music's too loud and someone says something to another person and the next thing you know, someone takes out a gun and shoots somebody. I mean, we have seen this over and over and over again. And what happens is, in 6 o'clock news, if you watch it over and over again, you almost become desynthesized to it. Almost like, okay, well, there's another person who was killed, right? But it's another thing when it becomes personal. Have you ever met anybody that actually or known someone who was actually murdered? I have. Um, a few back in 1995, my, well, let me just tell you a quick story, my my best friend Nelson, um, he was my um, my best man at my wedding. I actually saw him just before July 4th and his mother came to visit. And um, back in 1995, his father was um, unloading his trailer. He worked in the flower industry and so, um, Uh, he was um, just unloading his trailer, going back and forth in his house. I think the door was open. And so there was was about three or four kids who had skipped school that day. And they were driving around and they decided that they wanted to hold somebody up. It was just a random thing. So they were driving by and they saw Rick unloading his flowers in Temple Terrace, Florida. So they stop and um, they take out a gun. And they hold him up and say, Hey, basically, chances are they'd said, Hey, oh man, give us your money or give us your wallet. And um, evidently there were words exchanged. And so this one 17 year old girl pulled out the gun and shot him right in the heart and killed him right there on the spot. Wow. So, so, what's interesting about that story is that it's one thing we think about life. Um, and we can look, watch the Six O'Clock News, but it's another thing when it becomes extremely personal, when you know the person who has so tragically been murdered, killed, dehumanized, a victim. Matter of fact, I think I got a picture of Rick, and there's Rick with uh, Marie, his wife. By the way, Marie is 90 now, and guess what? She still works for the Holiday Inn at the age of 90, gives her something to do. That's her grandson, Alex. Alex is a grown man. He's got two beautiful children himself, and he actually Nelson. And well, by the way, Nelson was the coach the, over here at the village's charter school a few years ago. I'll never forget this. True story. They just won a district championship, and I was so excited because my boys were on that team. I'll never forget this. I walked across after they won that championship, and I walked across the diamond. And I hugged Nelson. I said, Nelson, your father would have been so proud of you tonight. <laughs> See, it's one thing when we watch the six o'clock news and it's just becomes somewhat desensitized to all the evil and all the death and all the tragedy and all the anger in the world. But when it becomes personal, wow, it's another whole nother level. So we think about this, this story, this Jesus says to us about the idea of thou shalt not, well, you know, you've heard about thou shalt murder him, but he's listening, takes it to a whole nother level when it talks about how anger can get the best of you. Now listen, listen, let me tie together the Old Testament and the New Testament, and let me teach for a second. So where does this all come from? Okay, so Jesus um, t- gives this in the Sermon on the Mount, these wonderful, these powerful words about relationships and about not calling someone an idiot or not calling someone a fool. But we also find this story, and once again, you go back, back to the Old Testament. And, and so what happens in the Old Testament? You go back to the first killing. What was the first killing in the Old Testament? Cain raises up and he kills his brother Abel, right? So what is that all about? Well, Okay, you go back into the story, and Cain kills Abel because, do y'all remember? Because God evidently looked upon Abel's sacrifice as better than Cain's. Now, how does Cain know that God's thinking that his sacrifice is better than his? Well, it's probably because, maybe because... Abel was maybe more prosperous, maybe he was more successful, maybe he had a more extravagant uh, uh, opportunity to be able to give the sacrifice because he had more than maybe Cain, which means, guess what, you ready? You have to read between the lines, he was jealous. Jealousy leads to, well, envy. Jealousy leads to anger. Jealousy leads to resentment. So Cain raises up and he kills his brother, takes him out to the pasture and knocks him evidently in the head. And there is blood lying. And, his, and there's a very powerful quote about what, how the story all kind of unfolds about how um, that Abel's blood was crying out of the ground. Hold on to that for a second. So then God goes to Cain and says, Hey, where's your brother? This is a powerful line. Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Duh, right? No, no, no. Where's your brother? So God knows exactly what happens, right? And then you have this, this well, once again, you got to look at the detail. So then all of a sudden, um, a, uh, Cain is on this pity party and Cain thinks that somebody's going to be out to get him now and somebody might kill him. And that, that God says no, the, um, but there is consequences for uh, his action. The consequences he has to leave his home, the consequence he has to work really hard, the consequence of there's a sense of fear in his life that wasn't there before because he's totally messed up. So we have all these, we have these consequences. So Cain is afraid for his own life. And then then we have this this quote in the Bible that says that he's afraid that someone's going to kill him. And yet God intervenes and says, no one's going to kill you. And he talks about vengeance sevenfold on his life. In other words, if someone kills him, then the vengeance of God or God's wrath would come down sevenfold on him. So he's basically saying, I'm going to protect you, which shows mercy, doesn't it? Grace by God. Okay, so then you got that story, and then what's the very next story? Okay, what's amazing? Ready? All of a sudden, the very next story, it's in the same chapter, the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. You ready? The next story is about Lamech, and who's Lamech? Noah's father. And what does Lamech talk about? Killing someone. Matter of fact, here's the quote. You ready? So the Bible says this. It says, Lamech says to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice, wives of Lamech. Pay attention to my words. I killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. So Cain will be back seven times and Lamech 77 times. Oh, man. Okay, 77 times. In other words, Lamech is basically bragging. He's basically saying, listen, you know what? God's protected Cain and he's going uh, vengeance, to, vengeance is not going to come upon his life because God's protected him. And he says, I'm so important that 77 times vengeance is not going to come down upon me. God's going to protect me. And so we have this 77 number in the Bible, which is important. So we, we, and then the next thing you know, what happens in the story is so Lamech is Noah's father, right? There's all this, all this violence. It goes from one killing to the next killing to the next killing. Now, listen, there are lots of, no, actually lots of flood stories in the Bible, but this is the one f- story that we have that connected that God is actually bringing a flood because of violence. And he looks upon the earth that he, cre- a creation that he's, he's created, and people are killing each other. And so he, there's this sense that all of a sudden he brings the flood to be able to start fresh and new because there's all this wrath and all this vengeance and all this uh, killing that's going on. And God says, listen, we got to change all this. And what's very interesting, I never thought about this and read this, this last week. It's as if the, the, the flood came to baptize the earth and the ground again. And what does that connect to? I thought this was actually very powerful. What did what did happen in the Bible when uh, Cain kills Abel? Abel's blood is spilled upon the ground, and it said, and the and the Lord said ultimately that the ground and the, the uh, Abel's blood was crying out from the ground. And so what's very powerful is that, once again, there's this sense of cleansing, there's this purging, there's this sense of baptism upon all this evilness in the world, and God cleans house. It starts all fresh and new. So what's very interesting is that over and over again, and so what God says, and what this is all about, it has everything to do with dehumanizing people. So Jesus takes this and he says, hey, listen, I love what Paul says this about this. He says, listen, let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Now, what's very powerful about the word evil there, let no evil talk come out of your mouth. Oh, wait a minute, there you go. You idiot, you fool, you moron, right? Paul says caution, the word evil there, right, in the Greek literally, literally means if I was to go and actually go to the airport, right, and I'm going to go on vacation and I go buy a McDonald's cheeseburger and I absolutely forget that I leave it under the seat and it sits in the, bar- in the parking lot for a week, <laughs> right, then it would become putrid, stink in the high heaven, right? So the word that Paul literally uses there is the word putrid. It's evil. Don't let anything putrid evil come out of your mouth. And then Jesus says these words, and we bring this full circle. Jesus says, you know what? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I said to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Where does that come from? What does that have to do with anything? Wow. So Jesus, here's very powerful. Do you realize that... Jesus says, listen, you have heard, you have heard about this idea, once again, that you're, you know, to love your enemies. But Jesus says, listen, I say, listen, pray for those who persecute you, your enemies. And, and, you know, here's very powerful. Do you realize that the Sanhedrin and the Jewish officials, they, well, once again, they thought Jesus was a demon. You talk about taking a hit. And, And they thought that the miracles that Jesus performed, they were because he was a demon. And then he had his own family who thought he was half crazy. And then he had his disciples who ended up denying him. And then he had Judas who was willing to betray him. So Jesus went through all that and he knows it's coming. And yet we find these words to Jesus. But I said to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. And listen, and Jesus knew it was coming. Forgiveness. Be careful with your words. So what's very interesting, once upon a time, you ready? Okay, go back to Lamech. You got to look at the whole story, how Old Testament connects, connects with New Testament. So I'm going to teach you something new close of this. So Lamech said, listen, the vengeance, you know, he's bragging. Vengeance is going to come upon anybody who messes with me 77 times. Once upon a time, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. His disciples to him, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Most beautiful prayer that we've ever been, been given on the whole planet Earth. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And there is that one line in the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed it just a few minutes ago when Pastor Ellen shared this with us. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Okay. Then once upon a time, after a day, he gets that. they get The disciples get the Lord's Prayer. Then Peter goes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, nope. How about 77 times? Where do you get that? Go back to the creation story. Go back to Lamech. So in other words, Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, Lamet is talking about vengeance And Jesus flips it all upside down. He says, 77 times worth of vengeance. And Jesus says, how about 77-fold worth of forgiveness? Forgiveness in the first degree. And that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. About loving each other and not dehumanizing each other. And lifting people up by our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And the question, the ser- sermons come full circle, the question that we all have to decide, do we truly trust the words of Jesus Christ? And not only do we trust them, you ready? Oh, wait, hold Are we willing to live them? Gracious Jesus, we're grateful for your tender mercy and your loving grace and for once again teaching us uh, today uh, your holy word and how the Old Testament once again ties in with the New Testament. Lord, let us have a heart of 77 fold, not of vengeance and spite and anger and animosity and bitterness and hatred and evil words that can come evil out of our lives, out of our mouths that ended up killing relationships. But Lord, Let us have this heart for loving you with everything that we have. For you teach us, Lord, it truly is about following you and following your word and trusting your word and living out your word. And we thank you for your word today. In Jesus Christ, we pray in all God's children said, Amen. amen and amen.